<laughs> Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 54 of Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science, comedy and ignorance. He is Dan Beeston. Oh, don't do that. It just confuses them. They have enough trouble as it is. Fine. I am Gregoire. And I am Gregoire. <laughs> and welcome to episode 54. That's right. Now, I had an interesting letter sent to me from a listener who has written in before, uh, Lewis Frank. And Lewis Frank wanted to ask me a question about what we thought about the lack of a science minister in our federal cabinet now, which I thought was an interesting question to start the podcast with. Because... For those who don't know who aren't Australians or just don't care about politics, we recently had a change of government and the other side won and the other side lost and basically it's all new and all exciting. And they decided that they would not have a Minister of Science. So now we have, uh, I think the portfolio has been broken up into the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Industry. Yeah. And basically how we feel about that. That's what the listener, uh, Lewis, was asking. So I'm, I'm, I want to throw in here, because I've been thinking about this a little bit. And, okay. And I'm intrigued. I, I can sort of see why they did it in some respects. Part Actually, of me... should I... I'll, okay. I'll, I'll All right. my, my response. Sure. Was, okay. I, my response was, oh, my God, the right-wing government are the devil. It's like they're <laughs> intentionally trying to piss off all the people who didn't vote for them <laughs> as punishment. And then I went, wait a second. I don't know what the science minister does. Mm. I probably don't really have a leg to stand on to get all upset <laughs> when I have no I had no clue up until this date he even existed. <laughs> so maybe I should settle the f*** down and learn about what he does. And then I didn't. <laughs> so it wasn't that important. For me, it was interesting. I, I think it's an interesting choice. I don't want to make it... This is not a political thing. I don't, I don't care about what side of politics. It's the choice I'm intrigued by. I think it's a long... It's, it's the next evolution of a long-standing thing in Australia. And, for example, in universities, many universities are not, not allowing courses for the sake of courses anymore. You've got to have some sort of job at the end of it. It's got to be a, a career-related field that you have to work in. So they're cancelling the Bachelor of Arts? Basically, uh, at some universities, there are no Bachelor of Arts at all. I know you're trying to do a joke there, but I actually, you know, a university, oh, they have no Bachelor of Arts. That so, was and, really funny, and, and now so, it's just sad. Now it's just sad. And so they, but now a lot of the stuff you could do in the arts degree, you'd now do in a Bachelor of Communication instead. So they, because they take all things that are useful or at least job orientated and they make them into that degree. So that you come out from these universities with a degree that gets you a job, not just a degree for the sake of learning. And now we can argue whether that's good or bad. I mean, some people go, well, you should have it job based. But some people go, well, actually, it's good just to be able to learn things. Universities should be there. If you, just want, if you have the money and you can afford it and you the time go and learn things to your heart's content yeah it's i i can see both arguments i think this well that's what philosophy that's what the department of philosophy does they have no as kevin lowe mm. a previous guest said the department of philosophy is the useless tree on which all the fruits have developed <laughs> the fruits like of science valuable and, yeah, science even religion medicine. yeah yeah and yeah, all sorts of interesting. That's right. So my take is on the why we don't have a minister of science in Australia and on the federal government level is this. This is the next evolution of what's been happening in universities. They have said, it seems, we don't want just science for the sake of science. We want science as a teaching tool or teaching science for education, or we want to have science leading to changes in industry. If the science doesn't lead to new things for industry, we don't want to talk about it. That's not their, that's not what their um, interest mm -hmm. Now, I do have a problem with that. I can sit back and go, yep, I understand your reasoning. I think that's your reasoning. But I do have a problem with that. As I said many times before, I think that pure science, science done for the sake of science, is highly valuable and highly useful. You never know where it's going to end up. And you never know what really, really lucrative, if that's what you're caring about, yeah. uh, um, sub-projects and, and side shoots are going to come out of it. We just don't know. So many of the things around us in this day and age today, from Wi-Fi to space blankets, all those interesting things, did not stem from people going, I need to be able to wrap myself up in a thing that's not wool and stay warm. Or I need to communicate pictures of cats to other people on the internet. No. Uh, that wasn't designed that way. So by I need a minister of cat pictures. That's right. So I feel that we, yes, we probably, I would... Oh, Photophilonism. Oh, that's very nice. I feel we should have a minister of science because pure science is something that we should promote. But I get why they did it. They want to be more jobs or outcome orientated. So that's my take. Thank you to Lewis Frank about that one. And uh, please send in any interesting questions and we will 
opine with great gusto about them. I just wish that the Minister of Science, would, when he did exist, would dress up in, like, goggles and a big lab coat, <laughs> big white hair. That would be awesome. So, or even steampunk. You have a steampunk one, like leather coats. The Minister of Steam? Minister of Steam. Oh, there we go. Steam-powered science. Yeah, once the left-wing government get in, they're like, you are not relevant. <laughs> Welcome to the interview part of the podcast. What exciting and new scientist have you brought for me to interview today, Greg? We have the friend of the show. Don't give me that look, Dan. We have the friend of the show, Dr. Joel Gilmore. Oh, not him again? <laughs> He's right there in the room. He's turned up no, like no. so many times. Like, when are we contacting him? When are we Skyping in? No, no he's, he's, he's standing in the room in front of us. I should open my eyes for these. <laughs> good to see you focusing on recycling there. That's very positive. <laughs> ah, That's very good. Yeah, nice tie-in. Uh, Dr. Joel has been on in past podcasts talking about sustainable energy for Australia and uh, and before that, uh, the greenhouse effect as well and, and climate change, which, of course, now much more... You should go back because the IPCC just put out a report uh, at the time of this uh, podcast. You should go back and listen to our podcast where we talked about not that, but stuff related to that. But anyway... But today... Joel always brings such world-shattering information, stuff that will make the planet better or warning of things going terribly wrong. That's right. And so today, of course, Dr. Joel, what are we talking about? We are talking food science. And the future. <laughs> and the future of food, and yes. the future of food. That's the, now, I just want to point out to the listeners that I'm a very simple animal when it comes to food. I throw a thing onto a hot thing and it burns and then I take it off and then I carve out a few things that weren't the same. Like maybe it was a plant and an animal. Actually, not animals anymore. And I burn them and then I eat them and I might even drizzle. Scrape off the charcoal. <laughs> and I put, a few, and I put a, few, a few condiments on it and Bob's your uncle. I've got a meal. But I'm assuming there's nothing more to it than that. Well, I mean, I confess that I've always been, you know, there's that food is either a science or an art. Mm. I'm always on the side of science. I've, I've never been good at the creative aspect of just putting a recipe together from scratch. So instead, I actually became really interested in what makes food work, yeah, particularly cooking food, cooking, baking, all those sort of things, mm. heat transfers, and, and what goes on there. So... There is now, through the wonders of the internet and the wonders of technology, a huge wealth of information that you can draw on and then start experimenting with. So, and this is called molecular gastronomy. It is one branch. It is, it is a somewhat controversial name that apparently, I'm told, some chefs detest the name, that it refers to, in their mind, the, the more avant-garde, you know, the, the tiny little dishes of very strange foods and strange dishes and everything. So some of them don't like it, but more generally people, yeah, molecular gastronomy, really understanding what goes on at the molecular level in your food. And the most famous one I can think of, top of my head, in popular culture would be Heston Blumenthal. Yeah. He seems to, he goes on television and does crazy stuff and everyone goes, oh my goodness, he uses liquid nitrogen! And then, and other stuff like that. So, so what is the, there's a place, there's a place in Brisbane now, in the valley, that does liquid nitrogen ice cream. It's, it's actually, yes, if you're in Brisbane, it's next to the um, Max Brenner chocolate place. There you go. Okay, we should, we should go there now. Scrooge podcasts, <laughs> but molecular gastronomy. What, so, what's it actually? I mean, what what is it? It sounds very grand. Well, the idea behind it is that for a long time we've been cooking and we've been doing things because that's what your mother or father or ancestor told you to do. Mm. So, for instance, you know, you beat eggs. If you're beating egg whites, you should never do it in a plastic bowl. Or if you, what? why not? I've well, never heard that. This is an excellent question. Oh. Um, and, and the idea is... That and I asked it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, historically, people said you never beat egg whites in a plastic bowl because what happens is that when you beat egg whites, what you're trying to do is you're trying to beat air in amongst the egg white and create tiny bubbles. And then what happens is the molecules in the egg actually form a, a wall around each of those bubbles and hold it all together. Right. And if you get any fat in there... Mm. or detergent, fat or detergent, oh, that yes. will ruin this whole process and your eggs will not fluff up. And the rumour was that plastic bowls tend to retain a bit of fat on the surface of the bowl, oh, even after you wash it, oh, just because yeah. the way they're plastics and mm. you know, the various molecules in there, and so will not do as good job. I haven't done this experiment myself, but apparently according to one of the gods of food science, Harold mm. McGee, if you actually sit down and do this experiment with a well-cleaned plastic bowl and a well-cleaned metal bowl, mm. the red whites will do exactly the same thing. There we go. Well, listeners... That's a bit of science. People kind of go, how can we do some science? Maybe you could recreate the experiment, listener. Maybe you should go get a plastic bowl and a glass bowl or a steel bowl and try it out yourself. 
And then, if you can find one, buy yourself a copper bowl. They're not cheap. But a copper bowl... Hopefully, if science still holds true and you're part of the universe, um, the egg whites will actually froth up much, much more. Oh. Because some of the copper leaks out into the eggs, a uh. tiny, tiny amount. Uh. Um, you know, maybe even good for you, a little bit of copper is probably not bad. Anyway, I don't know. But the, you know, who cares about nutrition? As long as the eggs will fluff up more. This is, this is, this is molecular gastronomy or the start of it. What, what if you got a really big half eggshell, like an ostrich eggshell, and use that to fluff? Because like, that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Because that is just that that's just more egg yolk. I guess it's calcium, isn't it? This sounds like a good time to, to phone in an ostrich farmer and get them to <laughs> But that doesn't sound like anything new. That's just using science to try and explain whether we should cook in a certain way. Right. So that's that's right. stage one, is understand what are we doing at the moment and why. Stage two then is to take that and do something better. So now that we understand how egg whites froth up, there's a particular molecule in there. And what you these are molecules that basically act as an interface between the water and the air and help make those bubbles really strong. And so what you can do is you can find other naturally occurring chemicals and mix them in instead of egg whites, mix them into say fruit juice. And then you can beat up your fruit juice and create a foam. Like a sorbet. Uh, well, well, yeah, exactly right. So you can, you can then freeze this in liquid <laughs> nitrogen, like you mentioned the liquid nitrogen ice cream before. Right, yes. You can make this foam, you can freeze it to make that. Or, you know, uh, in these molecular gastronomy restaurants, they'll make a foam that will last for a couple of hours and they put it on top of fish or they do something like that. So you have this very light, fluffy, but strongly flavoured foam. Right. Oh, okay. So it's taking taking out of one thing and putting it... It's almost like genetic engineering of food. Yeah, yeah. So, so you go, I really want this food to have... This, I want my the eggs to have a bit of a porky feel to it somehow. Heston Blu- eggs and pork. Heston Blumenthal has his bacon and egg ice cream. How does, what? How does that work? Yeah, it's brilliant. Because what he did, he infused the milk for the ice cream with bacon. In the first step, you've got the milk infused with bacon, mm. which you use to make your ice cream. And then what he does is he overcooks the custard for the ice cream a tiny bit. Before you freeze it, you cook it up. Mm. And he overcooks the eggs a little bit so that you get what is normally a terrible thing, little tiny clumps of egg in the ice cream. Right. Cooked egg. <laughs> and then he beats and then he you know, puts it through a really fine blender and a really fine strainer. And you have this ice cream that's like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory style, where your first mouthful of ice cream tastes like bacon mm. because the bacon molecules are smaller right and then as you keep sort of melting your mouth it tastes like egg <laughs> that's crazy how would he have worked that out like that is, uh, you shouldn't you wouldn't just accidentally stumble upon that there would have to be a well thought out plan and and like okay, once again seeing how other things were done and then trying to add things into them it's that's crazy that's really quite mad so you can make lots of different flavors that's another nothing molecular astronomy can do lots of different flavors and put weird flavors we've never tried before yeah okay that's stage two. Fair enough. Is there a stage three? I mean, I think we're approaching stage three now, which is that all of this stuff uses not weird chemicals, but certainly uncommon ones, and some of it uses weird equipment. And stage three is that this is all filtering down to the home kitchen now, that you can hop on to the internet. Red Spoon Company is a place in Australia mm. that will sell you any one of these chemicals you want. Are you, are you related to Red Spoon Company? Sadly, no. I do not own shares in Red Spoon <laughs> Company or I have no financial interest. Neither do we. That's it. Just, just to put that out. Except your financial interest so far as sending them lots of money for <laughs> to stock your cupboard full of basically stuff that the terrorist watch list would be concerned about. Yeah, I, I fly through airports with these little tiny packets of white chemicals. <laughs> it goes down well. Yeah, yeah. Like, and what's this one called? Uh, this one is um, sodium alginate. Oh. Yeah, come with me, please, sir. <laughs> That's right. Enemy of the state, molecular astronomer, Dr. Joel Gilmore. Right, so now this equipment, like said, it's coming down to the people in, in the normal homes and they're starting to use it in the normal homes. So what sort of stuff is being used then? What, what, can, what can actually filter down? For one, all of these chemicals, there are, I mean, there are some sort of that have really specific purposes, you know, like the foaming one. There are some that are really good for thickening. Mm-hmm. There are some that are really good if you're perhaps can't eat gluten. What can you thicken that people wouldn't think that you could thicken? Well, I mean, there's nothing you can't thicken. I mean, so for example... Often... <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you're making a gravy, often what you would do now is use something like corn flour or a starch mm. like that. Oh, yeah. To, to think about, or grey box, which sort of has same sort of things. If you use enough corn flour, you can have non-Newtonian non-new- fluids, non-Newtonian gravy. It's, a, it's, it's, it's really a, hard to you eat. You can crack it, and it's a pause down your throat, and it chokes you to death, yeah. which is not that good. Yeah. 
that. But there are things like agar agar, which can. Uh, I, you use agar. Agar is not used in in um, when we grow bacteria. You use agar to. Yeah, and wow. I'm not. I'm not sure if this is exactly the same thing oh, or not. Okay. I'm also not sure whether I'm completely making up the fact that it's repeated because I said that. Now it sounds weird in my head. <laughs> um, I just you only good. use agar agar when you're cooking gorilla gorilla. Because that's the Latin name for. Continue. Right. If you like that joke and it could explain it, please write into the podcast. Dan would be most impressed. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a you, radis radis. It, oh, that's what you were. Oh, wow. Okay. So we so you have these chemicals that now that most people can't use. Or you, I think would they be easy to get hold of, or would they be considered dangerous if you accidentally put them in your food and you didn't know what you're doing? Could you like poison your family or something? No. The only one that I can think of that I'm I'm too scared to use is other than salt, other than salt mm. or no, sugar. Don't have too much salt. Mm. There's a meat glue, which is quite terrifying. Meat glue! Yeah. <laughs> it's a powder that dissolves the proteins on meat oh. and then causes them to bind. Right. So you can kind of make, like, stacks of meat or, like, wrap prosciutto around other things. and Or, or a turducken that's just yes. horrifying. Or, I, I just want to point something out here. Uh, humans are made a lot of, basically made of a lot of meat. Yeah, so you, apparently you can very easily stick your fingers together. But more terrifying <laughs> is that the powder is very fine and if you don't wear a mask oh. while you're working with it, then... Oh. Because your, your meat sticks to the your other meat inside yeah, your, your lungs. And you do, oh, no, 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 that's very bad. Okay, that's, yeah. I've that's, got some in my eye. That's, uh, oh. yeah, that's the only one I don't use. But everything else is like it's extracts from seaweed and that kind yeah. of thing. That terrifies me that such mm. a substance would be allowed to exist. Well, see, like, like Breaking Bad, just finished, by the way. It's all done, all done. Red Say a spoiler, no spoiler and you die. No spoilers, no spoilers. But in that, there's you know, people try and kill each other off. Not in the, not in the talk in the last episodes, but in the, during the whole thing, there are people killing each other off and then cleaners coming in to boil bodies up using acid, sulfuric acid and adding some hydrogen peroxide. In fact, I know that's a bit worrying, but there you go. And to get rid of things, to, to supercharge the sulfuric acid. Mm. Uh, but you, you, could, you could meat glue someone to something, or to themselves. Yeah. Oh, to, to a cow. You could just, or you could just get... Just squish. Just, and it's like, like meat glue. Wake up. What? Go, Bessie. Hang on. Have we, have we honestly just started a podcast which is going to give a scientific explanation for the human caterpillar? Human centipede? Human centipede. Oh, I, I thought it was a very hungry human caterpillar. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite terrifying. <laughs> That's a kid's book you don't want to read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the first day. <laughs> but then we just get bigger and bigger every no, day. No, no, stop, 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 stop speaking about things. Ever. He I, added two slaves, but he was still <laughs> he was still a pervert. Hang on, so this this meat glue. What? Do you, is it just the, you get it on so you, a bit of powder? You put you, you, two bits of meat together, yeah, and suddenly it's it's stuck together. Yep. Or does it take? That's right. Does it take longer than that? As I haven't used it, yeah. but it's very quick. <gasps> it's like sort of tens of seconds. Kind oh of thing. no, that's not good. So so it's great for for, <laughs> for restaurants that are trying to like, you know prosciutto wrapped chicken and that kind of thing. Yes, okay. Instead of historically, you know, you stick the toothpick through and that's mm. thing and never quite. Stick. They sprinkle some powder on, wrap it round, and it's very quick. So again, this is helping or rapid production of food. Sure. I'm sorry, I don't want to get caught on this thing too long, but, but <laughs> I, I'm just I'm terrified. I don't, I don't want to be get caught on. I'm it. terrified of it because. If, if you put it on someone's food, you, know, you have a bit of chicken and then prosciutto wrapped around it, it's all glued together, and you take it out. How do they know they haven't got enough? Do you have to wash it off or something to make sure it's not on there? Or See what I'm saying here? There's a whole barrel of horror. Because your tongue is made of meat. I know! It's just, anyway, sorry, okay, I'm scared now. So that's, that's one thing, meat glue, that's quite worrying. The thing I sort of learned about molecular gastronomy was talking about denaturalizing meats. Is that denaturalizing is the right word? Denaturing? Denaturing, thank you. Denaturing meats. Because that I've been using that wrong this for like four years now. Oh there you go. <laughs> so because chewing, I mean no, when you cook meat, just normally cook meat, it's sort of the first process part of the digestion process. You're what you're really doing is is making sure the meat's not tough and weird and also killing off pathogens and stuff. Mm. But you actually, if you cook your meat, it's easy to digest. I was reading somewhere. If you try and eat raw meat, your body's like, what the heck? Yeah. Uh, it takes a lot more to break it down. Because So is that the next step in like molecular gastronomy, sort of breaking down meat as well? Again, it's understanding what goes on and then how can we do it better. Mm. So 
we now understand really well, well, not perfectly, it's a horrendously complicated process, but what happens when you cook meat? And like you say, the proteins in the meat, when you heat them up, as the meat gets hotter and hotter, at every every degree or two of temperature rise, Mm -hmm. something new happens. And that's what determines whether your steak is rare or medium rare or medium. Or on fire. (laughs) Or on fire, or or the medium and so forth up to ruined or well done, as some people call it. Highly, (laughs) highly, highly masculine. And this is denaturing the proteins, basically. Yeah. And up to a point, what happens is so these proteins will, as you heat them up, they will unravel mm. and then start to kind of stick together in a more random way. And that makes the meat firmer. So it makes it easier to digest. Mm. It makes the meat firmer so it feels juicier because when you bite into it, your teeth can sort of yes. cut straight through. Mm. And then if you keep going, then more and more denature and then coagulate together is the word. Mm. And then it becomes tougher again. And so that's why a well-done steak tends to be reasonably tough, mm. whereas a medium rare is a sort of w- good balance between firm enough to bite through but not mm. so tough that all the water has been squeezed out. Okay, so, so what's the super scientific way to cook a steak then? Right, that- so the perfect way to cook <laughs> a steak then is if you know that temperature is all that matters. Mm. And we do, obviously. I, I'm- We're scientists. Oh, good, hey. Hey. We read it on the internet. (laughs) It's not all that matters, but it's it's the biggest factor is the temperature your meat gets to. So one really simple option is to get yourself a thermometer off eBay, a probe thermometer. It's got a sharp needle-like probe on the end. Mm -hmm. Stick it into your steak. When that hits 55 degrees Celsius, Mm -hmm. then your steak is medium rare and it should come off. Right. But... If you're cooking a steak on a barbecue, then the outside is going to be really hot by the time the inside is quite warm. And so the outside gets overcooked. And, you know, it's hard to time taking it off. Mm. So the simple solution is to do something better. And I'm a vegetarian. Well, yeah, you, you could give up your steak, but <laughs> not, not all of us have the moral fortitude to uh, be able to I make am, their sacrifices. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I commend people who do it. <laughs> it's me. Hey, right, move on. <laughs> Truly they are gifted amongst us. <laughs> No, no. If, you, if you're going to go for the meat or if you have to serve a carnivore or omnivore, the secret is something called sous vide. Mm. And this basically involves sealing the steak inside a plastic bag mm-hmm. and then putting it into a pot of water where that water is kept at exactly 55 degrees. Right. And so the steak is sealed up inside the bag. You, know, you push out all the air and then... That water, you use some sort of controller for that, that pot of water to keep it at 55 degrees, mm. and then the steak will heat up, and after about an hour, it'll be at exactly that temperature, and you can leave it in there for at least another hour or so, and it will stay at 55 degrees. The meat won't get better or worse. So it doesn't, you don't have any denatured proteins. It doesn't get more denatured. That's right. I mean, there are things that go on over time, mm. but they're very, very slow. Okay. So mm. once you get it to that temperature, you can leave it in there. So if you're a restaurant... You can prepare a whole lot of these, and then as soon as someone calls for a steak, you say, oh, hey, you want a medium rare? Take that, a medium rare pot. Hey, Jimmy, deep bag of meat! <laughs> and then you take it out, and you serve it, and it is going to be medium rare all the way through. You just need to quickly sear the outside. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Hang on. That's, but people like that kind of brownie, crispy stuff on the outside. Yeah. So we're brownie crispy it then, obviously. Yeah. How do you brownie crispy it then? Well... The poor man's way is just to put it in the fry pan, a really hot pan, for just 10, 20 seconds each side. Sear it, okay, yep. The, the smart enough to know better smug way would be to <laughs> hey. go down to your hardware store and get the, high, the highest powered blowtorch you can find, <laughs> usually like a MAP propanol blowtorch, and then sear the outside with that. So you get, you get a little creme brulee one. They, they, these, these creme those, brulee those are crap, are they? Yeah, oh, they're too small and oh. they don't do anything. Oh, they're great if you'd like to lightly warm oh, a okay. grape or something like that. <laughs> So they won't, they won't actually burn it. Well, it's technically about You want a flamethrower. Right, okay. You want to cover it in petrol. Right. Oh. And then set, put a, actually, could you do that? Could you, could you cover it in brandy and just set fire to it? That'd work, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'll give that a go. <laughs> Leave it as an exercise to the, to the listeners. Yes, you know, no, 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 listeners, please don't add brandy to a hot thing. Yeah, flambe. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it could. It's a flambe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just don't. Oh, clumsy does it all the time. I, I don't trust them. She almost sets fire to the, oh, my. The frog princess does it too. <laughs> she has banana flambe, and she just she's so clumsy that I'm, every time she does it, I'm terrified. <laughs> 
I'm, 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 uh, people lose I eyebrows. People I, lose eyebrows. I confess, I once burnt off my eyebrows trying to impress a girl with crepe Suzette. Nice. Did it work? It did actually. <laughs> Paid off big time. But... She, I like the idea. She was like, I don't care for the food, but those lack of eyebrows have really made you highly attractive. Was, I knew my market. <laughs> he, he, well, he said that he burnt off. Didn't you, you just said you burnt off one eyebrow? So the sex would have been really quizzical. <laughs> Please continue. We'll take the fifth on that one. You do it with eggs, can't you? Yep, yep. Eggs are, again, if you can slow down the cooking, it makes it, you can do all sorts of interesting things. You can make the yolk solid but the white runny, or you can make it just a really squishy egg yolk. You can do all sorts of things there. It's actually really good for some vegetables as well. Oh, vegetables. Yep. The, uh, carrots, you can cook long and slow at a really nice temperature. Cook carrots? Um, what the hell? What dark wizardry is this? What are you, Bugs Bunny? <laughs> but the coolest thing is that this is this is a technology that was originally restaurants only, and then it was... It's a boiler and a thermometer. All right, but the catch is that you've got to be really precise, <laughs> oh, because even right. one or two degrees Celsius is enough to change your output. Uh, so you have to have okay. a really good controller. Mm. I've got a hack to get a rice cooker mm. with a controller that I use in the rice cooker my source of heat. I just want to say this, listen, when we came in and, and uh, Dr. Joel showed, showed us the... Oh, oh, can you show me the CV before we start? And, and he pointed at it and I went, no, that's a rice cooker. I, I know. Ha, your tricks don't work on me, Dr. Joel. That's a rice cooker. I used to live in a university dorm. I know what they look like, let me tell you. This is my strategy. I just get a box with some wires coming out of it and say, yeah, that's my, my sous vide device and... <laughs> So, 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 but that, hey, come and watch television with me. <laughs> I'll burn off an eyebrow. Who knows where the night will that's go? A, that's a painting with some uh, wires you going out finger, of it. You put your fingers through it and move it around and make it look like arms are going up and down. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it, it's what I'm saying is this is not a your device. It, it does look like something that's been hacked together. It, it's it's not. It's something like someone went. We need to MacGyver. We need to get out of here. Take this rice cooker and this thermometer and make a fantastic meal to put the guards to sleep. <laughs> that's MacGyver. <laughs> he has no idea what to say about that. <laughs> no one has any idea what to say about that. I'm just going to let you roll with that one. Thank you. Thank you yeah. very much. So it's, it's not... It, it, that does look like something that's been put together, hacked together. That's right. It's very much... You know, I mean, somebody else made it for me. I didn't... I'm less comfortable wiring up mains power. Call me crazy. Um, but it is really... It's hacked together, but it works pretty well. And in the next generation that are coming out now, after around the $200 mark, they're devices that work really well and they are prosumer level devices right. clip them onto the side of a pot or a big tupperware like a like a 20 liter tupperware container i cooked a turkey last year this way had a fish pond circulator hooked up to a big bath of water and <laughs> all this sort of stuff and <laughs> so hang on, once again though you cook the turkey for so many hours why does this turkey the... taste like you joel <laughs> and... Well, I needed to prepare for lunch. I've now brought my greatest meal, turkey and toe-clipping sandwich. Uh, but, but the turkey, as it goes around, once again, you have to burn the outside of it. Otherwise, it would just kind of look like a weird flaccid... It, it would look, let's face it, it would look like a testicle. Sure. Well, <laughs> really it, big testicle. A really big testicle. I actually it, chopped my turkey up, and I cooked it in two stages. I cooked right. the breast meat, and I cooked the legs and thighs separately because different meats, different temperatures are ideal. Uh. Breast is best cooked really lightly, uh, you know, very low temperature. Thighs work better to cook a little bit longer just because of different types of meat and there's all sorts of cool physiology in why the, the, the breast meat is different because they there's have different functions there's a sexual functions. euphemism here I can't find it <laughs> let it go let it go. Right. let it go don't if you, if you really think about it it just won't happen that's right <laughs> <laughs> no, stops like that too. I want to help each other here. So uh, is, the, these are um, they're like chemistry stuff and and heat stuff. What about baking? Sucks. I suck at baking. Baking stupid. And you need like exact measurements of everything. Is there anything that makes so, baking so easier? Are you saying that you're baking bad? Oh, oh, I'm gonna give that high five in for that one. Yeah. Anyway, life is complete. <laughs> Do I need to add more dexterose? Oh! Like in two years' time, people will be like, why, what? There are old TV series no one cares about. Anyway, that's good. Um, yeah, so baking. Baking, do you, do you use it? Are you saying that they'll be lost? Uh, no, you're not. Okay. <laughs> Don't think so, so baking. Is, does, is baking any easier now that scientists are smarter? Baking. I mean, baking is the <laughs> ultimate chemistry experiment. It is literally chemistry. Mix... So many grams, I've got like jeweler's scales that are 0.01 gram precision. It's ruined my life. What? Because, you know, you, you convert these recipes from, to, to metric and they say like two grams of cinnamon. I'm like, 
I can do that. <laughs> so that's ruined me. But, but yeah, baking is chemistry. You mix up the exact same ratios and then you apply heat or, or stir it or whatever. It should work the exact same way every time, provided you have a perfectly controlled atmosphere and a perfect oven, yada, yada. Yeah. But Where, do, those, do those exist? No, because, not in any way. Because the environment is always humid or dry or full of ducks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one, like, the really simple example is old recipes in particular will say a cup of flour. Mm. And a cup of flour can be anywhere from 100 grams to 150 grams, oh, wow. depending on you know, how densely packed your flour is, how you scoop it out, so you know, whether you scoop it in with a spoon or you scoop it directly out of the bucket. So now, the simplest way is, again, eBay, buy yourself a set of digital scales for $10 and measure out your ingredients. Yeah. And if you use weight instead of volume... Like 80% of baking problems, and that's a completely made up statistic, but a huge fraction of your baking problems will disappear. So if you use weight, not volume. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because that's what matters. It doesn't matter whether you have 12 cubic centimeters of flour, mm. it matters whether you've got 50 grams or whatever. Sure. Okay. That's it. Okay. That makes sense. But what can you make, though? What madness can you make when you bake now with molecular gastronomy? People are doing interesting things with souffles and all that kind of thing. You know, souffles. I mean, souffles are neat, right? Because you can heat them, and as soon as they start to cool down, they sink. Yes. But you heat them again, and they will rise again <laughs> uh, because it's just expanding the bubbles, making them bigger and yeah, smaller. Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, um, density. Density. Yeah. Oh, very exciting. So people fun. are doing fun things with I mean, Heston Blumenthal has all sorts of cool stuff where he has dry ice and liquid mm. nitrogen does neat things with the baking there. But but you have to be, you have to be careful. Just to jump back to the liquid nitrogen thing because I, I use it for my work, and you have to be careful. Though people who don't know what they're doing can really hurt themselves because negative 196 degrees Celsius. It's that's a bad thing to get on your skin. It burns worse than fire. And there was a young lady in Sydney, I think, went to a bar and they they made the drinks all bubble by pouring in some liquid nitrogen into a cocktail and handed it to her. She slammed it back. Before, what they should have was put it down. It bubble bubble bubble. Then she picks it up and drinks it. But no no no. She just whacked it down. Suddenly had a negative 196 degrees Celsius temperature has this liquid in her gut and they had to remove parts of her stomach and so you're like don't play with this unless you know what you're goddamn doing because you're going to end up burning yourself to pieces and do something terrible blowing or meat gluing yourself to someone else i'm not sleeping ever oh, again wow that's 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 a real dedication to a relationship <laughs> I'm married, now I'm No, I like, I mean, yeah, this is all of these things are dangerous, right? But I mean, cooking chicken is dangerous. Mm. If you don't cook your chicken they well. Peck you. If you don't, like, you have to. <laughs> well, if you're going to kill the chicken first, right. yeah, that, that's much more dangerous, I agree. <laughs> but liquid nitrogen is, I think, no more dangerous than knives, really. In that, if you don't, if you're not if careful you with a knife, them. you're gonna, yeah, if you swallow a knife, <laughs> it's gonna have to remove part of your stomach. Yeah, It'll right. do it for you, but, yeah. um, uh, you know, the liquid nitrogen, you've got to be careful. In my former life of doing science shows and everything, used to play with liquid nitrogen all the time, and I did pour it on my hands and that kind of thing, but in a really controlled way because I yes. knew exactly what I was doing and exactly how long I had and what angles and all that kind of thing. So people that sounds who, like something everyone says just before they have to call an ambulance. Have, I only exactly once, what I'm doing. Only once did we have to send anyone to hospital in our shows, and that was when we had smashed a best brick on their stomach while they were lying on a bed of nails with a, with a sledgehammer and the brick when it crashed apart it fell and sliced open their chin as it sort of toppled oh, okay. backwards right, yeah. so of all the mundane things that could happen mm, like sledgehammer on all the nails yeah you so you know you uh, never know where the danger is coming from <laughs> and it's dr joel is the one who knocks that's what it is. Like, if you, if, no, Breaking Bad? No? That's no. a line from Breaking. Right, moving on. The next step for me, and maybe I'm going mm. too far out of what we're talking about today, but the next step to me seems to be 3D printing. You can 3D print now with plastics and metals even, and people are now saying we can start 3D printing because a polymer, well, a polymer is just a long list of, mm. well, a long line of monomers, and and that's food and proteins. So we should start be able to start very soon 3D printing foods is that something we should be looking forward to or is that something we should just run the heck away from or we don't need to eat any of the extravagant foods that we eat mm, mm. part of the reason we do is that we i mean for better or worse we have the money mm. that we can spend on this stuff and choose to spend it on this rather than anything else and so we want to have creative food so i think 3d printing that would be awesome if you could actually print something out something very weird yeah An inside out egg that's what i want 
And who knows, maybe this ends up being like cheaper and easier way of producing yes. nutritious foods for a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. So all you do is pour in the pour in the base proteins and or whatever and all the bits and pieces and then it just prints out a sandwich. The sci fi world of yeast based <laughs> Everyone everyone just eats what well, we talked about in the podcast in the past, um Soylent. The the, mm. the food substance um called Soylent, which has now gone into like beta production and they're selling it now. Oh, and, yeah. and I'm intrigued, listeners. I'm intrigued. I, I will at the moment they're not letting plebs like me get hold of it but I, I tell you I'm going to be oh, I'm going to be all over Soylent but yeah uh, they're going to start selling it at, at a Bowser <laughs> like, people like you are just going to walk up and just go I am full and it'll come out your mouth and you'll have to get a little watering can and like pour it on your mouth just to clean yourself up exactly right I liken all of this stuff to microwaves microwaves back there used to be one microwave in the world right one microwave oven that somebody sort of first put together and then there were a few and there were a few commercial ones and there was a time when there were a hundred microwaves in the united states you could count them like that <laughs> and now every house has virtually yeah, one if really, not two yeah, that's right it's 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 that fun and i don't cook with my microwave i've never cooked something mm. i heat things up really and that's what microwaves do obviously they agitate the little molecules and they heat things up but I know people who do cook with them, like they actually have microwave recipes, which is different again, not just heating something up. So you're saying this next stage will be the, the sous vide will be something that people will probably have in their house. Yeah, and I think that it'll be one of the tools that you use. If you're cooking a steak or chicken or meat or something, you'll throw it into a plastic bag, you'll drop it in your sous vide pot, you'll leave it for an hour, and then whenever everyone arrives home for dinner, you'll take that out and you'll put it on the table and it's ready to go. Okay, I a question then. What's the difference between a sous vide and a slow cooker? They're the same idea. Right. Okay. Um, and, you know, so a slow cooker really just keeps your food at a lower temperature, which might be like 80 degrees, mm. depending on exactly the slow cooker. Sous vide, same idea. Sous vide actually means under vacuum. And it came oh. from the way that's originally put together, which was that you would vacuum seal your food mm. before you put it in, which means it gets a good contact with the water inside its bag and everything. Because okay. air is a good insulator. So I could, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And it means it, could, it sinks well in the pot and everything. And just for, for our audience, of course, you know air is a good insulator because we live in a cold country. You wear multiple layers of clothes and you're not staying warm because of the cloth. You're staying warm really because of the air. air mammal inside the, it. Air. Well, yeah, you pump the heat out, but your heat is trapped by the, all the air. You have multiple levels. Anyway. Yeah, so the, the sous vide is just taking that to the next level where the temperature is really precisely controlled. Right. The good one, you know, the new $200 consumer levels would go up by no more than 0.1 to 0.5 a degree wow. Celsius. So if, if I call the sous vide really a hipster slow cooker, is that is that okay? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Excellent. No, no, don't do that. Don't no, do that. It's a hipster slow cooker. No. So if our if our audience <laughs> if our audience if Dan Dan's got one or have get one sent to his house, he doesn't want to be a hipster. He hasn't got the beard for it. If Dan no, if Dan, if, if people want to get uh, involved in molecular astronomy, what's how do you, what's the entry point to it? Is, is it difficult to get involved? Look, it's so easy. Like get on Google. I mean, this is it's, it's so cool. So it's it's citizen science. You know, mm. this buzzword is overused. I think, but mm. oh, we did, we we actually did a podcast about that very recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we have used it a lot. But you can. Yeah, Anyone can get on the internet and actually make new discoveries. Like there was, I mean, it was a, it was an academic group that did this, but they overturned some long-held knowledge in inverted commas mm. about how you cook eggs and what the different temperature does. Did Aristotle work it out? It was some weird thing Aristotle wrote. All eggs are self-cooked in the bottom of the chicken, and everyone went, "Well, Aristotle said it. Must be true." <laughs> Sorry, I hate I, Aristotle. I'm so, so annoyed with him. I actually think it is something like that because it was published <laughs> in some you know, really prestigious, really prestigious right. published this. Uh, it published the original statement mm. and then it was left unquestioned. Then somebody did a really simple experiment that any single person on the internet could have done, mm. but just no one did. What, and what did they discover? They discovered that with meat, mm. we said that you know temperature is all that matters. Oh, but that, like, that, Mostly okay. all that matters. Mm, okay. Eggs is really not true. Eggs, temperature matters, but also time. Oh. And so they produced this most amazing chart which is a chart of temperature on one axis, time on the other axis, and in the rest of the chart they filled in what the texture of the egg yolk would be, <laughs> whether it was the texture of marmite or thick honey or... So you could decide how thick do I want my egg, how when do I want it to be ready, mm. I should set my sous vide cooker. I want it ready in one hour and a half, I want a texture of honey, so I want it one hour, 43 minutes. That's and brilliant. Like... Just a mind-blowingly cool chart. Mm. And anyone on the internet, they were so close and just didn't take that final step. So if they had just done a little bit more rigorous mm. writing up of the experiment, 
they would have found it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, get this <laughs> huge message boards devoted to this people who've tried spherification, making these tiny bubbles of really quick setting jelly. Um, <laughs> they call them caviar because they're little, basically, they feel and look like caviar, tiny bubbles. And you right. squeeze them and they pop. And they're doing things like injecting liqueur into them or making small bubbles inside larger bubbles <laughs> and turning cocktails into bubbles and all this kind of stuff. It's just like brilliant. I think from this point on, I don't want to eat anything that's just been thrown onto a hot thing and, and burnt. I think everybody, everything I eat nowadays from here on has to be super scienced. Just... Hey, uh, are there any clever kitchen tricks that you've picked up science-wise to make things easier for you for just basic cooking, something to use every day? Yes, there actually is. <laughs> Pasta. This blew my mind. Oh, <laughs> and, and salivating. This, this demonstrates just how tame my life is, I guess, the fact that this blew my mind. But, because, um, <laughs> you know, the pasta... Preaching to the choir. Yeah, the pasta. If you, if you read any book about pasta... <laughs> Preaching to the choir, the pasta. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were No, I mean, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I made the joke. Woo! Well done. Thank you. The flying spaghetti monster. We're very happy with you tonight. <laughs> Indeed. Normally, if you read any book on cooking pasta, you have a big, big pot of boiling water, mm. you salt it, mm-hmm. and then you throw the pasta in yep. and you cook it to la dente. Oh, oh, just when it comes to salt water, I found that there are some recipes where you could put a third salt water in there Whoa. instead of salting yeah. it. Uh, okay. It's crazy salty. Yeah, it would be. So you put some fresh water with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is this standard picture. Turns out, and this is an internet discovery, turns out you don't need to. You can do a huge number of things. You can put your pasta into a pot of cold water mm-hmm. and then bring it to the boil, yep. just stirring it very occasionally. I can hear my mother screaming. I know. I, I was like, <laughs> no. No, that's right, yes. Greg, don't be stupid. And I, mean, I can hear all of Italy screaming <laughs> and waving their hands. I prepared it like this and I fed it to my mum because, you know, she's, she's a little bit of a foodie. And I said, Joe, so... Uh, How's the pasta? Is it cooked to your liking? He said, yeah, no, it's really well cooked. That's great. I'm like, excellent. So but, so you start from cold and go hotter, and that actually makes better pasta. It doesn't make better pasta. It just doesn't make any difference. Oh, I, right. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, good. That, 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 so you don't, right, so we're saying you don't have to bring it to the boil and then throw it in. That's right. Throw it in and then just get it going. So it saves you energy because, yeah. and it saves you time because you just throw it in and it means that after about two minutes, it's ready. Then right. I, I've had mixed success with the final step of this mm. because pa- cooking pasta is two things. The first is rehydrating it mm. because it's dried pasta. So you have to add back the water into the pasta right. to make it soft and tender again. Mm-hmm. The second step is that you're actually cooking the proteins in the pasta. And that's why even fresh pasta you mm. cook because you're setting the proteins and that makes mm. it hold its texture and everything. Mm. And so... What they found is that you can actually separate these two steps out. You can pre-soak your pasta for an hour or so in cold water, and then when you're ready to cook it, you throw it into the pot, boiling water in this case, cook it for two minutes, and then it's done. Right. Ah, I see. Right, okay. Because all it needs is long enough for the proteins to cook, and normally the long step in cooking pasta is rehydrating. It just takes Ah. time. So either throw your pasta into cold water and bring it to the boil, or throw it into cold water... For an hour or so, it yep. gets soggy, and then put it into hot, really hot water, yep. and, and two minutes later, you're done. Yep. That's brilliant. And I've, I've had mixings, like, I think I've soaked it once where I, I tried to experiment, and I soaked it too long mm. in the cold water, and actually came out a little bit squidgy when I uh, cooked it. like long tofu? A little bit. <laughs> it was just a bit weird. You don't want any of your food to end up like tofu. No, no, no. Not even tofu. Especially not tofu. No, tofu awful. You want tofu to be anything like tofu, anything else. Tofu is hateful. It's a hateful. As a vegetarian, I can I can say that mm. it's hateful. It's one of my people. I don't like it. We don't like it. Do we? <laughs> it's a terrible thing. Anyway, and I bet molecular gastronomers don't use tofu. I bet they're like, no. They probably whisk it up <sighs> into a foam. Into a souffle. Blend it. Glue it to something else. But, and and would it be weird if you, if you, if you <laughs> preferably some beef? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I laughing? <laughs> Why would you ruin good beef with? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Doctor Joel, I think that some young person who's just left home, hopefully he's listening to the podcast, and now knows how to make pasta to make an awesome spaghetti. Start an awesome spaghetti. You have to work the rest out yourself. I'm really excited about this whole molecular gastronomy thing. I think it's, it's something that's really fun. You can make cooking fun instead of making cooking just a, a recipe, following a recipe. It's sort of, oh, we can make it more interesting and, and cool and have a kind of weird experiments in the kitchen, which I'm all for. If I had a kid who was doing high school science projects, I would say experiment in the kitchen because there's genuinely new stuff to discover. Yeah, and also much easier to clean up. Yeah. 
Okay, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while now, mm. but I just I never seem to have enough information about it. Right. It's the paleo diet. Oh, right, okay. Now, diets are always complex because they're, they're almost always an emotional thing. People diet because they emotionally don't want to be fat. Yes, and they've reached a stage where the idea of being fat outweighs the issue of losing weight. Yeah, so. it's like when you're really, really, really sick and you, and you come home and then a couple of days later you feel better and you look at one of the pills that you've been taking for days and it's like hogs wash. It's literally <laughs> hogs wash. They, they wash a hog and they bottle it. Yes. So the conceit behind the paleo diet mm. is that Paleolithic man right. evolved over hundreds of thousands of years mm. in his environment... Yeah, to benefit from his environment. You're talking about humans, actual modern day humans. Uh, so more than only twenty thousand years or so for modern day humans. Well, yeah, up. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. So you're probably, I'm getting it physically. Oh, anyway, I'm, I'm confusing the issue here. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like humans in yeah. their natural state, right? Run around with no clothes on, mm-hmm. picking berries off trees, yeah. and not using. So we're talking about hunter gatherers here. Hunter gatherer. That's we. That's exactly oh, what right. we're doing. Good. Okay. We're talking about hunter gatherers. So before, that's the, in fact, you hit the nail oh, on sorry. the head. Wasn't trying to. There you go. Hunter gatherers is what we're talking about right. because they run around and they gather shit up yep. and they eat it mm-hmm. and they run around and they hunt stuff and they kill it and they eat it. Yes. And we've talked about on the podcast before about how humans seem to have evolved to be long-distance jog runners. Yeah. We, we jog after animals. Well, the theory that we jogged after animals and we scared the hell out of them and we chased them down and the poor animal couldn't sweat. And in the end, it went, I'm too tired. And it lay down. We stabbed it in the throat. Yeah. After chasing it for like eight hours. Oh, yeah. That's a long jog. But anyway, yeah. It's good. amazing. So hyper-marathon. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yes, so paleo diet. Yes. So the idea is that our bodies evolved to deal with whatever that diet was, mm-hmm. which is a pretty sensible idea. Sure. And so... The paleo diet is to only eat things that cavemen would have eaten and, and hunter-gatherer... Because we had more time to get used to that food source. Yes. Uh-huh. So... Okay. That's why we, like, some people are gluten intolerant and that sort of stuff. Yeah, or dairy intolerant. Yes, yes. And in, in the same way that if you've got pet dogs, mm. you should feed them... Meat. Meat mm. and not... Ice cream. Ice cream and meat pies and <laughs> chocolate kills bowls them. of gluten. Yeah. Chocolate, yeah, don't give them chocolate. No, don't give them chocolate. Don't give them anything processed. Yep. What they're saying is don't give us anything processed right. or anything that we Why would you to treat eat. your dog better than you would treat yourself? Yeah. Kind of. I guess. Yeah. So you end up eating quite a bit of meat. Sure. Seafood. Right. That's which is meat. Yep. Various berries and fruits. Nuts. Nuts. Okay. That sort of stuff. Right. But you're not eating grains. Oh, okay. So no breads, uh, no cereals. You're not really eating a lot of root vegetables, so potatoes yeah. and stuff. Because No yams. No yams. No yams. <laughs> which, actually, which doesn't make a lot of sense because the Aboriginals, mm. they were all about the yams. Yeah, they, they dug them out of the ground, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, paleo diet is based on grass-fed meat, poultry, eggs and seafood, fruits and non-starchy vegetables. Grass-fed meats? Why does it matter? Once an animal has eaten something, it's processed in its body. It makes no difference beyond if it's eating its own brains of its own animals and then <gasps> spongiform, uh, square pantsiform. But, you know, really, what does it make any difference what the the cow ate? By the time the, you eat the meat off the cow, I don't think it's got bits and pieces of... Yeah. And yet we don't tend to eat carnivores very much. That's because they're hard to catch and they're scary. Like you, you try and farm a tiger. Would it, you? Yeah. Would you will... rather? Yes. Would you rather hunt a tiger <laughs> yeah, or a cow? Cow. Um, I'll keep. Tell you what. Tell you what. We'll do a scientific experiment. We'll do this. For, I'll give you six panthers and put them in your back garden, and I'll take six cows and put them in my back garden, and we'll come back in six months and see which ones that's alive. Well, yeah. We'll <laughs> we'll see which one of us is still in a position where they can viably breed and produce offspring. <laughs> that's right. A low evolution at work. <laughs> Well, that's why we don't. That's why. Uh, look, read Guns, Germs, and Steel, which is a great book. But it's one of the one of his theory. The guy who wrote Guns, Germs, and Steel, the book. He said that's why Aboriginal people in Australia never farmed, not because they didn't have the no to or the intelligence or anything like that, because all the animals they had around them were either dug underground and hid, i.e., wombats. You can't farm something; we won't come out of a bloody hole. It's a bit hard. Or the damn things like kangaroos leap over everything. Like we don't farm deer; we, we can. We have to build twenty foot fences. Yeah. So we, kangaroo just goes see. Suckers, and it leaves. You can't farm a kangaroo. You can cull a kangaroo, but it's a different thing again. Yeah. So it that, that's his theory. So they didn't farm in Australia. But no, we're going because the animals are just too fucking crazy. Bam! And we're out of here. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I guess it's just yams for dinner again. <laughs> sorry, but I've heard it's bad to eat. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Paleo diet, good or bad? Yes. They, well, they restrict fats, yes, grains, legumes, potatoes, dairy products, legumes. and sugar. Sugar? Fair, sugar's pretty processed. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the idea was that Neolithic man and hunter-gatherer man, all yep. those mans... Yep. Mans. Mans. They had no Mans. cardiovascular disease, uh, no type 2 diabetes, no, know that. no cancer, no autoimmune diseases, osteoporosis, mm-hmm. no acne, no myopia, no varicose veins, no gastric reflux, and no gout. Right. That, that's what they said. That's what, they're, that's what they're... One of the problems, though, is that when you're talking about domesticated animals... Even the domesticated animals we have now mm. are not the same as the animals that they were hunting and gathering back then. No, no, no. We've changed them quite a bit. Yeah. We're, yeah. Mm. Cows used to be a lot smarter. We bred them to be dumb as fuck. That's right. And that's because, once again, panthers versus cows. Yeah. And we, can, we can see why with that one. Kangaroos, yep. the exception, of course, as you just pointed out, mm. not farmed. Yeah. Yeah. So kangaroo meat is just the way it was. Ah, uh, lean red meat. Uh, and okay. it's good. I like kangaroo meat. Mm, I've had it once. I, I've, yeah, I, did, I liked it too. It's very hard to cook though, I've been told. It goes wrong very quickly. You can really? you screw it up and you dry it out really fast. Ah, uh, well, I, I I'm not a big fan of it by itself. Like I like the marinated stuff. Mm. You can get it pre-marinated oh, and okay. that counters all the dryness. Mm. And the mince is quite good in like tacos and stuff. Oh, stuff with okay. a really strong it's a gamey taste. I've tried it in bolognese, and it's a very sweet taste. Oh, okay, it's very oddly sweet. In way put, yeah, fair enough. But you stick it in, a t- in tacos, mm. and you you would never know the difference, right? And indeed, my sister-in-law, who's been living us with with us for a year, mm. like the idea of eating kangaroo nauseates her. Oh. She doesn't know that she's been eating it in the tacos. <laughs> And and her English is not up to scratch. That she probably keeps up on the podcast. She has no interest in my life, <laughs> and that's why I keep feeding her on beautiful animals. <laughs> Tomorrow, emu, and then puppies. <laughs> the um, I'm, I'm quite amused. Uh, just on a on a purely racist level here for a moment, I'm kind of amused by the Holocaust. She's like, no, I won't eat that kangaroo. That's foul. But I will. Please bring more snails and frogs. Bring me a horse. The a whole horse. A whole horse. I just want the eyeballs. That's all I want. Problem with your paleo diet mm. is you end up with not enough calcium in your diet mm. and not yep. enough dietary fiber. Right, because you're not eating grains. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And if you eat more than half a kilo of red meat a week, mm. you increase your risk of ass cancer. Yes. Yeah, your colon does not like you at all. Yeah, I can see that. But is, so you're saying the paleo diet doesn't actually work? Well, I'm still getting to that. Mm. Modern fruits and vegetables are also unlike those consumed in Paleolithic times. Sure. So that's different as well. Yeah, yeah. So mm. if you're going, I'll do the paleo diet mm. because it's from Paleolithic times, yeah. then you're not eating the same thing as the what no, Paleolithic man had. they can't. Yeah, because of the but gluten, yeah. mm. you are removing processed foods from your diet, processed yeah. sugars sure. and gluten and dairy, which most people can deal with. We have had to evolve recently to deal mm. with those sort of things. White people. White people... Uh, no, you can't eat them. No, no. <laughs> They're quite a stringy meat and, uh, and, and whinge. Uh, Caprice and core, goat once without again. horns. <laughs> once again, six panthers, six humans. See which one of us is alive in six months. Yeah. And I'm not the- <laughs> so if you did the paleo diet and you kept your calcium levels up yeah. and your dietary fibre, oh. that's a pretty good diet. Yeah. Like, that's a healthy way yeah, of... Yeah, sure, sure. That's a healthy diet. Because you cut out sugar. And yeah. You, yeah. Surely you'd be, like, chased by a mastodon once a week just to just keep your energy levels up. Well, look, some exercise is probably not going to go astray. Yeah, yeah. Chased by a large furry uh, elephant. Yeah. Staple yeah, well, a rug to an elephant and, and, and annoy it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's that's, that's part yeah. of the paleo diet now. Good. Yeah, that's yeah. the smart uh, better you, paleo diet. You staple that to the elephant. <laughs> yes, I'll be the control in that one. All right, okay. we, come back in six months. <laughs> See you can breed. Uh, we're ready to breed at the moment, aren't we? We reach a stage of our life. Obviously, we're like, mm, any reason to breed? <laughs> <laughs> no, Greg, I'm not having sex with you. But it's for science. I mean, chased by an elephant. I deserve this. <laughs> all right, but we, we we need to use a condom. You don't get it. <laughs> I didn't fight six panthers to stake to wear a condom. I need to make lots of mummies. <laughs> but there's more to so it than Dan that. So can eat them. So, <laughs> so, so I've always been very sceptical of the paleo diet mm, mm. because I was like, ah. Uh. So the idea is that paleolithic man was much more healthy than we are yep. and that's why he outlived us on all notes except that they would die when they were 28 and I'm 32. Yeah. And... You're so vain. 31. And... 
He's older than Voyager. Oh, ouch. <laughs> so ouch. Am I. If I'd applied myself, I could have escaped the, <laughs> the, the right. solar system. I keep. I always tweet Voyager. So on the side note, Voyager tweets. It actually t- it sends how far away. And every time, not every time, but occasionally when it tweets, I ask for it, Come back. You forgot me. Come back. <laughs> Some scientists at the University of Adelaide have discovered that hunter-gatherer humans mm. had no periodontal disease. Teeth. Oh, right. Their teeth were perfect. Oh. And they were always perfect. And as soon as we hit agriculture, yeah. our teeth screwed up. Yeah. I know agriculture was a big turning point <laughs> for human health. Human health, I read a theory that said that human health declined, not increased to begin with. When we started doing agriculture. It, people actually lived shorter, brutish, more brutish lives when we had agriculture mm. to begin with. Well, the thing is, we started to eat more carbohydrates, mm. more grains, flour, yep. breads, mm. cereals, yeah, cereals, and sugary food. Mm. Mm. Now, sugar is bad for your teeth. Mm-hmm. It's not an acid. Why is sugar bad for your teeth? Uh, Bacteria. Thank you. Bacteria eat on <laughs> the sugars. And they make acid. Thank you. Yes. And but... they grow really quickly mm. in mm. that environment. They're horrible. <laughs> now, all bacteria is bad for the human being. Is it? No. What did I say? Some bacteria is good bacteria. Yeah, yeah we have, we have, yeah, you have probiotics yeah. put into your body. and <laughs> Yes. Okay. There's a lot of research saying that bacteria in us can have profound effects on our health, mm. which makes sense because it's a whole delicate ecosystem. Some were saying that 40% of our body mass isn't actually made genetically of us. Like 40%. I, it's more than that. It's is like it? 90%. What? It's not that high, surely. Yeah. Is oh, it? so far as actual other organisms or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. As, yeah. In, as in genetically. Oh, yeah, there's a... There's a big not chunk. 90%, of this. Not 90%. Um, it's not that high. Surely. I guess there's a lot of water in us. I don't know how they're. No, 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 no. no. I'm talking about, talking about cells. Talking about cells. Yeah. If you look at the cells, you look at the genetic structure of a cell, whether or not it's our genetics or something's different, I thought it was about 40, maybe 50%. 40% of each poo is bacteria. Bacteria. Ah. Do you know why your poo is brown? Have we talked about this on the podcast? No. Do you know why your poo is brown? Poor planning. <laughs> it's an exciting color. No, your poo is brown because it's blood. It's breakdown of all the ah. blood. Your blood platelets in your blood, your blood breaks down, your body has to get rid of it somewhere, and it puts it out your colon. And that's why your poo is brown. So that's why if you, if you have weirdly coloured poo, then that's a good indication that something's gone terribly wrong inside you, and maybe it's a blood-related issue. Moving on. <laughs> Some people, and proper people with the word doctor in front of their mm, name, mm. they reckon Not that- those PhD rubbish people, but those MD people- no, no, PhD oh. people. Oh, those rubbishy MD people, but yeah, yeah. PhD people. Good, okay, phew. Okay. I never know which one to back. Apparently none of them. <laughs> um, they proposed that the bacteria in you could mm. relate to obesity, mm-hmm. depression, yes. even autism. I heard, wow, that's, that's a big one. I actually read an article very recently. They took twins, and they had an obese twin and a non-obese twin, mm. and they took the antibiotic, the living heck out of the bigger twin, mm. and they put... Um, bacteria from the smaller twin back into the, into the other twin, into the bigger twin, and there seemed to be evidence that there was redu- weight reduction loss purely from the fact of bacteria from the skinnier one being a different sort of better sort, another sort of bacteria mm. into the twin. So they're saying, oh, maybe you just got crappy, well, part of it would be crappy bacteria they want to see yeah. explode. Well, what happened was when we started farming, mm. we ended up reducing the amount of variation in bacteria that we were being exposed to. Right. And so it's not so much that there is too much bacteria that love sugar in your mouth mm. is that there's a whole bunch of bacteria that should be in there that's just gone. Right, yes. And there's no way of getting that back without sort of, uh, I don't know, tongue-kissing a hunter-gatherer. And, and, and strange enough, but say tongue-kissing, supposedly you can do a little test. You can see who's been kissing whom because inside our mouth are very different sorts of um, bacteria. What? And they can then take a swab. They can take a swab of someone's mouth and take a swab of your mouth and go, we're pretty certain that person's mouth is being close to the mouth of the other person. Because you pass bacteria to the person you've been kissing. Ooh. I know, I know. You've got to watch your back, guys. You've got to watch your back. Just going to send a text message to Girl Clumsy. <laughs> mouthwash, mouthwash, mouthwash. <laughs> now, where they've given some people probiotics, they've given them different bacterial species in their mouths, mm. and they've changed how their immune system has reacted, mm-hmm. and they've monitored their depression or anxiety over time, yep. and the different bacteria in their system has altered has uh, changed at the same time as their as their relative mood swings and we are such. really just a very complicated machine aren't we really you can control the inputs uh, and the outputs um, um, machines are a little bit more easy to understand we're a very complicated machine one of the other problems is 30 percent of children these days are born by c-section 
Wow. Caesarean. Really? That many? Yeah, possibly only in the uh, Western world. Yeah, in the first world countries. Yeah, in first yeah. world countries. Probably. And if a baby is born vaginally, it gets it's it's completely sterile in the womb. Yeah. But as soon as it comes out, mm. it gets a big face full of uh, mm. vagina mm-hmm. and gets the vaginal biology yep. in its system. But if it gets a cesarean section, its first exposure is skin ah. bacteria. Two entirely yeah. different types of bacteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Which makes sense because I'm a cesarean baby. That explains so much. Yeah, well, it explains why my colic cleared up as soon as I started dating. Ladies, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it, it most uh, it, it has stuff in the yep. vagina that helps with the digestion of milks. Sure, there's a colostrum as well. In, in the, when a baby first starts feeding, in the breast milk, there's a stuff called yep. colostrum, yep. and that also gives them their first blast of, and it helps their immune system go kickstart and that sort of stuff. This as is well. true. Humans that, are disgusting, yeah. filthy, bacteria-filled horror bags. That's it. That's it. We're horror bags. I'm de- I'm declaring it. Greg Rewaltham, I'm sick of being horror bag. The cool thing about this information is that the more that we research it, mm. we could end up with a toothpaste, which is actually full of good bacteria. Right. So you put it on your toothbrush, and instead of washing away the bacteria yes. and leaving a sterile mouth as much as possible, yeah. you actually fill it up with good bacteria ah. that keeps the teeth clean oh, and healthy. And also stops depression. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? Depression toothpaste. Toothpaste. Feeling a bit down? Brush your teeth with happy toothpaste. Smiles no better? Happy happy Brush this. And if that's not working, brush your anus. And if you are having a baby through cesarean section... I had to slip through the keeper, obviously. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, I'm going to have to edit that and be horrified. <laughs> the, but yeah, if you're having a baby through cesarean section, mm. then as soon as that operation's over and you've got a little baby in your hands, yep. just a little bit of a wipe downstairs, pop it in the baby's mouth to give it all of Humans the... are gross! Sorry. Well, I, I Sorry. thought about... You mean to bellow that into the audience's ears there? But it, it, holy crap! It is kind of gross, isn't it? <laughs> I reckon yeah. I reckon what they should do uh-huh. is that they should get a, a naughty nurse on staff. Of course. To provide that. For everything, though. I'd like to point that out. Like, it, damn it, I can't park this car. Get the naughty nurse. It's a multi-purpose solution. <laughs> So the, my my concept is right. you get a naughty nurse, right? And his name is Michael because he'll come. If in. you're if you're 18 years old mm. and then you found out that your mother wiped herself on the vagina and then plunged it into your mouth yes. as your first thing that you ever did, yeah, then you'd be like, ah. But imagine Especially the photos. But it, but imagine if it, at your 18th yeah. it goes and uh, you obviously did, had no problem digesting milk, and that's thanks to this click, naughty nurse, who was the first oh. vagina you got near. And, oh, you, and, 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 and everyone applauds and goes, oh. hey, nice job, I she's see. a naughty nurse. Oh, so it can't be a male naughty nurse? No, they don't have vaginas. Oh, wait, so I thought it was the mother's vagina. No, no, they, she, she's, the naughty nurse comes in and, and, and the baby tastes... The vaginal ba- bacteria but, but from her. That's someone else's bacteria. Surely you want that's from the fine. mother. No, that you've, that, you've got plenty of years to get used to that. What? It's called cross... What? <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, no, that sounds... What? <laughs> what ah, uh, humans are disgusting. Horror bag. So, okay, let's jump back. We got really serious off track here. Because now we're talking about dunking babies in vaginas, which just sounds like the most exciting baptismal font I've ever heard. But, so, paleo diet, yes or no? I just want a clear-cut answer. Yay or nay, Dan? Uh, paleo diet is much better than a diet filled with processed foods. Right. But make sure you keep your calcium and your fiber up. But you don't need to do it, though. It's not like the healthy... If you, as long as you keep... No, you don't need to do any diet. Yeah, but what I mean is if you want to be healthy... I mean, you'll die. Just, but... be, <laughs> just be healthy. So what you yeah. eat, eat less processed food, do more exercise. Strangely enough, once again, the same thing has come out from every diet that's ever come out ever. Yeah. <sighs> right. And, and something, but, about, yeah. something about vaginas, but my mind is now blanking that. A, a veil is coming down. Not too sure what that was about. We'll never hear it again. Uh, yeah, happy, but... happy, happy. But the problem is that, yeah, you're never going to get the same diet as you did back in Paleolithic times. So the met- methodology behind the paleo diet mm. is broken, yes. but it's still a pretty decent diet. Sure. Thank you to Dr. Joel Gilmore for... No, hang on, wait. No, no we're going uh, straight okay. to the paleo. Okay. Uh, or you can just start with the, uh, paleo. Thank you to me. For researching all that paleo stuff. <laughs> thank you to Dan. And thank you to Dr. Joel Gilmore for coming on and talking about molecular gastronomy. I thought it was a really interesting thing just to have a chat about because I knew really nothing about it. Everyone's going, Heston Blumenthal, Heston Blumenthal. We don't need Heston Blumenthal. We have Dr. Joel Gilmore. Yeah. Hey, I spotted something exciting the other day. What's that? What's that? A Tesla. 
Oh, right, what are the, what are the electric-powered cars? Sports car. Electric-powered sports car. Nice. Oh. Obviously, you didn't hear it. It just suddenly it was there. No, I actually, I, I was driving properly, mm-hmm. looking in my mirrors, mm-hmm. and all the way back in the traffic, I'm like, that is a shit-hot-looking car. <laughs> that is a bright red sports car. Usually, I'm not much to notice sports yeah. cars, but I'm like, that's a nice-looking automobile. And it quite quickly caught up to me and went past... <laughs> and, as is my want, I don't recognise sports cars at all. Mm. So I always check the tag on the back. Uh, across the back, it goes Tesla. Nice. As it went past, it made a throaty. No, it's probably nothing. <gasps> it's a, it makes the sound of birds breathing. <laughs> I wish I could see one. Damn it, one day, one day. Maybe oh. one day you'll drive one. Maybe, maybe. Ah. And we'll probably run out of electricity pretty quickly. <laughs> Not a huge amount of range on those things. But you get there very quickly. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. And the other voice in your ear right now is Greg at smartenough.org. Check us out on Twitter, SE2KB. And also Facebook slash SE2KB. And go into the forums. Yes, have some fun. People have been. It's been good. Yay. Go to iTunes. Yeah, yeah. Rate us. Yeah, if you want. Whatever. All this what, stuff. All the stuff we always all say. This... <sighs> we should, and you know, we should just record one and just play. I know. It. I know. Why do we? Why do we? Because we love our listeners. We love. We love them. We love <sighs> we them. Just love extra work. Apparently, I, I, I do. we love. We love you, listeners. It's all good. We love you, listeners. Because uh, especially you, listener. This is what you're listening. Especially you. This is what you're tuning in for. Is that personalized touch? That's right. Every single time, us giving you the information, mm. and then waffling, like wasting your time for about <laughs> four minutes after the fact. Oh. We could have just signed off, done the music, and put some nonsense after the credits. Let's do that! We get to share this mic. Joel gets the good one. He it's gets, not going to fall over. He gets near the, he gets near the door, too. He escapes at any moment. <laughs> He goes to his house, of course. We can That's shove him out the door. Yes, yes. yes. Mm. And we can uh, have a crack at that liquor cabinet. Yeah, that little bit weird. You're being recorded, Joel, by the way. Just so you know. All right. Just so you know. Just, it is How's the podcast good. work again? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I just... No. <laughs> You're a friend. That's fine. But we, I, I, made an effort, I made an effort to say to people, by the way, the mic is live. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm making an effort to try to hide that information from Greg now. <laughs> <laughs> Grass-fed meats. See, that's my first... My first. We're taking it. Excuse me. Sorry. That was obviously the yams attacking me. That Grass- was your vegetarian roots going, <laughs> meat! Right, oh, meat God! Oh, oh, God, people eat animals! People eat animals! <laughs> Get it together, Greg! <laughs> I can talk like that. That's about right for both of us. This looks like we're about to kiss. Or do a duet. Oh, kind of like a singing kiss. That's what a duet is. So what's a solo? <laughs>